Well, hi there, and welcome to Unshaken. I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host for today's episode, and I'm so glad you're joining me. I want to take a minute before we get started and invite you to head over to our socials, Facebook and Instagram. Follow or like us at Women of the Word CTW. This is our umbrella account that covers and highlights this podcast, Unshaken, our blog called Planted, our mom to mom ministry aimed at encouraging mothers in the work they do, and also our Regarding Him conference that happens yearly in March. There is so much good content on these socials, you are not going to want to miss it, so go follow them today. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast directory, like Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, CastBox. It helps us out, and it also helps you out because you get notifications of new episodes that drop each and every Thursday. You can also reach out to us at unshakenpsalm622 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you if you ever have any ideas, suggestions, or thoughts about an episode. Or maybe you just want to tell me about something that you heard on an episode and how it impacted you. Finally, Unshaken is a podcast for women, put on by women, and our goal is to encourage and challenge and point women to Jesus Christ. And as you know, with Jesus, we can be unshaken no matter our circumstances. Today's episode is 123, and the title is Defeating the What Ifs. Now that is an intriguing title, don't you think? We have probably all had a what if question, like, what if I take this job? Or maybe, what if I don't take this job? What if I end up with cancer? How will my family survive without me? Or maybe, what if I don't have cancer? Well, then what do I have? What if I don't pass this class? What if I get all the way through college and pass all my classes and graduate, but I decide I don't like my job? What if I don't get in line in time to get my morning coffee? Ha, okay, that one is the real question we're all asking, right? What if I don't get my morning coffee? Listen, you know, you and I both could go on and on with what if questions. And and honestly, we've probably had these all of our lives. Today, we're going to be listening to a talk given by Judy Cleveland on this very topic, defeating the what ifs. Now, listen, my favorite thing about Judy when I hear her speak is her genuine love for God, her practical day-by-day application, and of course, her amazing humor. You are going to love to listen. Um, I would like a show of hands. Who has not heard of Doris Day? Is there anyone in this room that has never heard of Doris Day? I'm amazed. I thought, you, you young ladies have heard of Doris Day? Well, well that's, that's, that's wonderful. The reason that I'm asking is that after, after I was asked to speak, um, it was on a Sunday morning, and as I was going home, this Doris Day song from the 1950s came to mind. And those of you who might have seen her movies, uh, she, was, she was the quintessential girl next door. And, and um, she was very charming. I, I liked her. But this song came to mind um, when I was just a little girl. I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. Well, I'm not going to get any prizes for singing. That was a step of faith. That was a big one. <laughs> you know, and as I thought about that, you know, this little girl had some real what ifs. She was, she was worried that she would end up poor and ugly in the future. And, and the mom, I really struggled with her at first. No encouragement, no reassurance. All she had to say was, whatever will be, will be. But later, I talked with my friend Cindy, 
And I was on a small rant about the mom, and she looked at me and she said, oh, I don't see it that way at all. I said, really? And she said, no, I see it as a message with, with, with hope. Instead of being a downer, it's, it's filled with the reassurance and encouragement that God is in our will-be's. Well, yeah, I kind of, I did see the point, and I certainly liked her view of the situation than mine, but it's true that we can't predict the future, you know, and the mom couldn't do that for, for, for her daughter. She couldn't guarantee that her daughter would be rich and pretty. And it is true that if God is in our will-be's, that her future was well in hand and that God had her best interest at heart. I'm going to give the mom the benefit of the doubt, and it could be that she had Deuteronomy 31.8 in mind. <laughs> the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now this is to me, and is a great encouragement to me, and if I asked anyone in this room, if you believe this scripture, you would say, well, of course, of course I believe that, and we would all be in agreement. We do believe that scripture. We really do, and we see that it is filled with the truth of God and what he promises to do for us. But why, why, why do we set aside these great truths and respond more like the daughter with our list of what-ifs? Well, to tell you the truth, it's really, it's really very simple. Even though we know that the future is unpredictable, as Cheryl said this morning, we all have plans of how life should turn out. But when we're faced with unexpected circumstances, and the plans we had planned are up for grabs, we have questions. And the uncertainty of the answer makes us anxious, it makes us nervous, and it makes us fearful. And you know, it's not even the, the immediate anxiety or fear that's the real problem. It's if the fear goes untended, <clears throat> it's kind of like a dog on a bone. It gets a hold of us and it won't let go. Then we get stuck and our father of Deuteronomy 31.8 gets lost in the midst of those fearful thoughts. So what I want to do for you is I want to let you know from my own experience how, how I myself got into a trap of how fear got a hold of me like a, like a dog on a bone and just exactly what it was, what happened, what's, what process did, did I go through to get me in that state? And then I'd like to tell you, I call that my fear over faith segment. And then I wanna, I wanna tell you how the Lord got me out and how what he did was such a blessing in my life. So, as I look around the room, I see, is, is anyone in high school here? Oh, yeah, well, there's <coughs> girls in high school, there's, there's, there's college age women, there's, there's women working at jobs outside the home. I'm sure that there's mothers busy at home, raising children, uh, empty nesters, retirees, and older ladies. Women of all ages, isn't that amazing? And we're all at different stages of life with a variety of circumstances 
and concerns. Younger women probably think about issues at school, maybe a what if about a summer job, um, maybe relationships with, with friends. College age, you're, you're wondering not so much about a summer job, but maybe about getting a job. Maybe thinking about getting married, establishing a long time relationships. Uh, working women, you may be concerned with, with job security, financial status. Moms are always occupied with husbands and children. And as you get older, you contemplate your first mammogram or your first colonoscopy. Now, as I look around, I see a few gray heads, but, uh, but uh, I'm probably very close to being the oldest one in the room, and you'd think at my age that I'd be done with worries about the future. But no. What am I afraid of? Well, I wonder what really being old, really being old will look like. Will I become a burden to my family? I'm a mom and I'm a grandma, and I'm concerned what life will bring my daughter and her husband and my grandchildren. And as I prayed for this time together, I knew that no one would end up here by accident. Something caused you to attend. And I'd like to know if anyone would be willing to share, what brought you here? What brought you here? What? What if I never get pregnant again? What if you never get pregnant again? Oh my. And anybody else? Yes. If I lose my daughter's first and Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's concerns about children, maybe health situations. Maybe you have the same fears as you're getting into your 50s that, you know, um, uh, you've got different concerns than you did when you were 25. And you've brought them all here. However, I think what comes to mind, what we share are those ordinary, commonplace fears expected at your stage of life. They can nag at us, especially at night. The worry won't go away. But I know from experience that tucked away under the normal what-ifs is another layer of what-ifs we often don't talk about. It's a, it's a fear that hits a raw nerve and makes a real mess of our lives. And we Christians really want to keep that kind of stuff tidy. It's not something that we often talk about. And for me, it's the fear of abandonment. What is a what if for me was a reality for many women in my family. And while I never experienced it in actuality, it took up residence in my thoughts and my emotions. I don't like, I don't like to admit that after all these years, it still sneaks up on me. And it's embarrassing because I, I, I don't want to think I'm weak. After all, I come from a long line of strong women, but it's there. Not as strong as it used to be, because my God is faithful. But it's still, every once in a while, <coughs> maybe this happens to you, there's that little, that little incident. It could be a word. It could be, it, it, it's so different for all of us, but it, it gets you. And all of a sudden, you find yourself back where you were years before. And perhaps, You've brought one of those, uh, along with those normal what-ifs, you've brought along that really hard one. It's very easy for us to resign ourselves that they're just a part of the wallpaper of our lives, and we kind of make our peace with it, but down deep we're discouraged, we're frustrated, 
and may have lost hope. You question if there's a way out. Well, there is. Our Father, as Cheryl has made so plain this morning, has not left us alone to fend for ourselves. As my friend Cindy says, he's and all our will-be's. And with that reassurance in mind, let's consider the title of this session, Defeating the What-Ifs. Now, if we've got defeat in the title, it means that we've got an, an opponent, someone on the other side of the what-if that doesn't have our best intentions in mind. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that, for that enemy of yours, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion in fierce hunger, looking for someone to seize upon and devour. Well, what does he want to seize upon? What does he want to devour? Well, for our purposes in this session, Satan wants to seize on those what-ifs of our life, move in on them, and then devour us. As I said before, it's very normal for us to have questions about uncertainty. Since the consequences can be real possibilities, fear can arise and take hold of our thoughts and flood our emotions. I believe that happens. But left, the problem is, but if it's left untended. That anxiety and fear provides the opportunity for Satan and his minions to go into action. He roars like that lion. I've got a grandson, David, that always like, you know, roar. <laughs> and that's, that's right, right before he kind of lunges at me. But that's not what lions do. They don't roar right before they advance on you. They roar beforehand to intimidate and isolate their prey. And those are two important words, intimidate and isolate. And who's their prey? It's us. His first tactic is intimidation. Now, intimidation means to frighten by threat. It's just not going boo. It's like someone advancing on you going boo, but having a big stick. You know, there's, there's something behind the boo that, that, you know, that you look at it and you're, you're fearful. I mean, you know, am I going to get whacked with that? And so, the fearful thoughts paralyze our mind. I mean, that happens. If you've ever, ever had a real uncertainty in your life, it's like, whoa! And you're, 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 for a moment, or for longer than that, you're just kind of sitting there going, your mind doesn't work. Turning to the Lord in trust is difficult. It just doesn't happen like that. And the threat is, and the tactic is, to deceive us into thinking that there's no hope. We're now isolated. See, intimidation is to get you. And then, the paralyzing of the mind and the thoughts isolates you, and it isolates you from God, remembering his faithfulness, just like Cheryl said. And then he moves in for the kill. We really believe that the worst is going to happen. You'll never recover. You won't get that job. You're a big failure. You'll lose your house, your husband, your children, your life. And soon, your mind is in a fierce spiral as your imagination runs wild. And it fuels those frantic thoughts that he's ensnared us. 
The twin strategy of intimidation and isolation is, is very important. But it's absolutely essential to understand the process of how our mind is entrapped and how crucial it is. Because if we understand that, we can recognize what, what Satan and his minions are up to, maybe catch it more quickly, and then unparalyze our mind and move forward. The mind is the operations center and oversees and directs our thoughts, it directs our emotions, it d directs our decision-making ability, and even has influence over our physical bodies. Now, Satan can't control your thoughts, but he can influence them. And whoever captures your mind captures the person, your present, and your future. And Satan is very adept at exploiting circumstances to accomplish his ends. And this process can, it's the same, whether it's a big issue or a little issue. To illustrate, no matter how hard I try, and, and I've decided maybe not hard enough, I more often than not leave a few minutes late for an appointment. Let's say a doctor's appointment. Driving along. Maybe I'm going to be late. Inevitably, almost always, I get behind this little pokey person. <laughs> you know, driving at the speed of the snail, all of a sudden, thought, maybe I'm going to be late, morphs into anxiety. Instead of relaxing, my shoulders tense, my stomach is in knots, and my mind starts going. I imagine nurses will be yelling at me since I'm late. <laughs> or maybe I'll be stuck for hours, uh, you know, waiting, waiting for the doctor. You know, and as this is going through my mind, I get more upset with the doctor. Now I get angry and start calling him names. <laughs> uh, my daughter will testify, I've cleaned up my language over the years, but, you know, um, you know, oh, this idiot, why doesn't he drive faster? And by the time I get to the doctor's appointment, on time, I'm in an emotional wad. And the stress on my mind and body has been real. I mean, maybe it's only been 15, 20 minutes, but I really did, I really did a number on myself. I calm down, but you see how the mind got started and got snagged into the fear spiral? It's so commonplace. So every day, you'd hardly notice. The, I certainly didn't notice that there I was cooperating with one of Satan's most successful strategies. Now, if we can be enticed into a fear spiral over the commonplace, think of what happens when we encounter a true crisis. It could be a, a variety of things, rejection in a relationship, difficulties with children, health issues, financial hardship. They're devastating times, and the truth is we are weak and we are vulnerable. We're very, very vulnerable. And that causes us to be more susceptible to his two-pronged attack. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, I've given up. My fill-in-the-blank will never be different. And there's a real danger. There's a real danger to allowing our minds to get out of control. He uses the threat of hopelessness, of things are going to always be the same. It's, it's to establish a foothold. Because see, that's, that's what he really wants. He just doesn't want to say boo and scare you. What he wants to do is he wants to establish a beachhead in your mind. Because once established, once, the next time it will be easy to snare you. Without realizing, we've played into his hand, and Paul describes the process in 2 Corinthians 10. Negative thought patterns get firmly established and become difficult to break. He calls them strongholds or fortresses. I call it the hamster wheel of fear. 
it's rather amusing when a hamster is, is running around, you know, chasing their tail. But when it's you or me, it's not funny at all. It's exhausting. It cripples your mind, emotions, and even your physical health. And this is the kicker is that Satan doesn't even have to, after a while, he doesn't even have to go boo. We do it to ourselves. Permanently. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got to get a drink of water. <laughs> I mean, this is getting me emotional, folks. <laughs> but if I put it down here, I'm going to kick it over. <laughs> so... Well, I've got a story about how that happened to me. Well, in 1978, we moved to, Kentucky, uh, to Toledo from Kentucky. And while sad to leave the Bluegrass State, we did look forward to John's job at, at the library here. My daughter, Sarah, was born in Kentucky and was almost two. I'd been a stay-at-home mom and loved it and thought things would pretty much be the same. However, my life took an unexpected detour. I had to go back to work, and the prospect of leaving Sarah was, was devastating. The what-ifs, the thoughts. Who will take care of her? Will she be okay? Will I be okay? How is this all going to turn out? The more I dwelt on the uncertainties and tried to figure out what to do, the more fearful and emotional I became. The pressure and stress of the situation placed me firmly in the hamster wheel, and I just went round and round. In fact, as I've said before, the original circumstances that got me in the wheel, you know, were no longer what kept me in there. The wheel became a fear of life. Fear was the wallpaper, and then I started decorating the wheel with other negative thoughts and emotions. I added anger, resentment, how about a good dose of self-pity, round and round and round, and one thing led to another and I was more bound than when I began. You see the pattern? Hamster wheel of circumstances. You start with the circumstances, you get the thoughts, then you get the emotions. Satan began with fear, and over time, I got stuck in a worse mess. This eventually led to some health issues, but they, they were resolved. And, and just so you know, there was a nice lady that did look after Sarah, so that was taken care of. Um, help did come. The story that I just recounted was before I came to the Lord. But I had a good friend here, and you know, she, she befriended me, and, and we'd do things together, and I knew she was a Christian. I thought that was rather odd. She was rather nice for being a Christian, rather normal. <laughs> and we went, she was well aware of my situation, and we went strawberry picking. And I, I, it, it was, it, you know, life was still a mess. And I... I remember picking strawberries and saying, Chris, what am I going to do? Is there any hope for me? You know, and maybe not there in the strawberry patch, but eventually she offered me a person with a plan. And that person was Jesus. And I came to the Lord. And I, I was just going to roll over this part, but, but I think I'll just say a few words. Um, my coming to faith in Jesus was, was a big deal for me. It was, it was a watershed moment. I couldn't give you a theological explanation, but I know that something had changed. I was fascinated, intrigued by Jesus, who he was. Yeah, never encountered anybody just like him. He meant what, I, what, what, what he said. And it was soon after I came to the Lord that one morning 
I was reading my Bible, 1 Peter 5, 6-7, and humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. Cast the whole of your care upon him, Jesus, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. All of a sudden, <coughs> bam, those words leapt off the page. Whoa, where did that come from? I knew, with just a little bit, I knew that was a message from God. And there was, there was another time, it was kind of funny, it was many years later. Uh, it was Christmas time and I was in, in the church's cantata. And I was still teaching full time at the, you know, and I didn't have have a moment to grab dinner before I went to rehearsal. And all I could think of going home was McDonald's. <laughs> you know, um, French fries are my downfall, but really one of those hamburgers was sounding pretty good. Now this was the days before plastic. All I had. Not plastic, plastic, but, <laughs> but McDonald's. I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old. It's, it's, it's before they took the debit cards, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so all I had was a dollar. Okay, all I've got is a dollar, but gee whiz, I really like some french fries. So I went through the drive-through and I got my dollar hamburger and my sack and I put it on the seat and you know how you feel around, you gotta drive and you feel <laughs> <coughs> Lo and behold, there were French fries in that bag. <laughs> I was astounded. <coughs> And the reason I'm telling you these two things is that for me it was a testimony of God's reality. There was a connection. There was a connection. Ha, he, had to, he had to have been listening to me talking about my french fries. <laughs> and he loved me enough to put some in my bag without me paying for them. And that you know, and doesn't that help you on the road to trusting Jesus when, when, when you have a, you know, you, you have something you can grab onto, you can say, oh, boy, and that I still remember while I'm telling you. That was, you know, but there, there, there was another time, and this was a couple of years ago, that we had a woman's event, and it was called Jesus Our Anchor, and there was a, a verse, it was 1 Corinthians 15, 57 to 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. This was a verse that stuck with me over the years, and when I was asked to speak, I, I knew I wanted to share it with you because it assures us that the Father gives us the victory. We don't have to beg, plead, or search. It's ours. And the verse proclaims our victory in Jesus, only Jesus. And when we deal with overcoming the fears in our life, it is absolutely necessary to hold on to this truth. Even though victory was mine and is ours, at the time of salvation, the circumstances of my life did not immediately change. What had changed was the fact that I was no longer a sitting duck for Satan's schemes. I didn't realize that at the time, heavens. I didn't even know that I was in a hamster wheel. <clears throat> I did know I was angry and resentful. And around this time, I came across a pamphlet written by a pastor from Toronto on unforgiveness. He said that if we don't forgive and get rid of anger and bitterness, we would end up in the worse state than we were in the first place. Well, that spoke to my self-interest because I certainly didn't want that. 
So self-focus, self-preservation motivated me to get going and do what the pastor suggested. So, you know, so I did, but in retrospect, I think it was very amusing that what Satan used to get me in the wheel, self-focus, self-interest, God was using to get me out. God meets us right where we are with what would most likely get my attention. The issues that I was dealing with in the hamster wheel. Well, you have to start somewhere. So I started practicing. I practiced catching those negative thoughts and turning them to the Lord with moderate success. I did expect to get some pushback from the devil, but the most surprising source of resistance was me. I remember the day when it dawned on me and I realized I wasn't all that eager to give up my anger, my resentment, my bitterness. It was startling to find out I was afraid. I was afraid of who I'd be without my familiar friends. I couldn't imagine living life without them. They were part of me, 2 Corinthians 10. Not only was it a foothold, but it was a stronghold. It was a fortress. It was holding me. I was shocked, sobered by that realization. And I had enough wits about me to know that this was super serious. It was past time to do something. And it was the first move in dismantling the hamster cage. But how to take it apart? Christians often describe life in military terms. Life is a battle. Uh, we fight sin, use weapons of warfare to defeat Satan. Well, it is a battle. And even though the title of this session is Defeating the What Ifs, we really can't eliminate them. What we can do is interrupt the fear cycle that Satan takes advantage of. And our Father replaces the intimidation, isolation attack from Satan with his own. Displace and replace. The purpose of displacing is to short circuit the negative thoughts and emotions and not be sucked into the fear of the what-ifs. We replace fear with the promises of God. I talked to you before about Satan being a lion roaring around. Well, Peter also has in verse 8 or verse 9 about how do we how do we do battle? Well, the first thing we have to do is resist Satan standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is going through the same thing you are. So what we're dealing with here is not something special to us but is just common. The Father has given us the word and the armor to resist. And what they do is they take the teeth out of the roaring lion. Okay? So it's the word and the armor that we are going to use to fight. But the word is the only thing strong enough to counter the fear thoughts because we have the living word. And the living word is our Jesus. Also in the Word is the promises that we hang on to. And those promises, I'll, I'll just tell you, this is, this is a little bit of Cleveland theology here, but for years I tried to figure out Hebrews 11, you know, about the assurance of things you don't see and all of that. And I'd get into a lot, oh, do I really have faith? And if I didn't feel like I had faith, I was, oh, you know, how, how you can do that? Well, I've come to the conclusion in my own life that the promises are the seeds of faith 
that we plant in our lives, and as we exercise them, they grow. And they are the evidence of our faith because we are, because we are believing God say so and taking action on them. And of course the armor is Ephesians 6. Uh, it's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Those, I believe, are designed to anchor our position in Jesus. Jesus is our righteousness, Jesus is the truth, and it's the gospel of Jesus that we walk in. I want to talk about the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. And this happened, oh, oh, maybe three years ago. That's yeah, because my my youngest grandson is 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 three. And what I want to do is I want to illustrate from this situation. In, in, the, in my life and in the life of my family, how this all worked together. How, how do we overcome, how do we short circuit the, you, you know, the fear taking hold of our mind, displacing that fear and replacing it with the fear of, with, 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 with the promises of God. Um, my, my daughter was expecting uh, her sixth child, and we were very excited about that. Um, but maybe three months into the pregnancy, um, she was diagnosed with placenta previa, which is the placenta over the uterine opening. And I knew when we received that news, that I, this is, kind of sounds like the Blues Brothers, I was on a mission from God. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, I knew that my job as a mom was I had to stand strong and I had to pray. I had to seek the Lord for this. But before I could do that, and this is why it's important for us to work through our fears, to practice, to practice, because you're going to find this a little amusing, but my husband is a musician, and, and uh, musicians work on weekends, and sometimes during the week at night. So for a lot of social functions, uh, he was off playing with the band, and I would I, to have a social life, I would have to go by myself. After a while, I began to notice that going into groups, social kinds of events, with groups of people that I didn't know was making me very nervous. Uh, I didn't know where I fit in, who to talk to. You know, if I saw a familiar person, I talked their leg off, and you know, I'll be smart looking. You know, like oh, I want to get away from this lady. You know, but you know, it was particularly uncomfortable at weddings because then you had to find a seat somewhere for dinner or for whatever. And it was like, oh, gee, you know, how do you insert yourself into a group or? You know, and I remember that the caution here was I, I, I saw that I was, um, that I was avoiding those kinds of situations. Um, but there was this one time, I started working on it, but um, two of my former students got married, and oh, I love those two. And I was, I was invited to their wedding, and, but their reception is, it was at WPOS. And if you've ever gone into their, their big room, it's a big room and there was a sea of tables. And I knew a few people and it was like, bam, I want it out of there. Oh man, what am I gonna do? 
So I found a few people, I talked to them, I thought, no, I really want to stay and celebrate. So I got in the appetizer line, and pretty soon I saw a friend of mine. And she, uh, she had a vacant chair next to her. And it was like I, I, I just bolted across the room, <laughs> sat down and said, hello. She said, I've just been talking about you. And I said, oh, really? She said, yes. Do you remember that time a number of years ago when I was in the hospital and you came up to pray for me and you said, come on, Wanda, get up out of that bed and go home? And I said, sure, I remember that. And she said, well, do you remember I got up and went home that day? And I said, oh, yeah, I do remember that. And as I was sitting there, I realized that the Lord was using this encounter as a reassurance, I would call it an oil station, to, um, to, to reassure me and motivate me to keep on moving forward in my prayers for my daughter. And so I know we're running out of time, so I want to make this, 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 this very, very, very short. Um, the two scriptures that the Lord gave me was Hebrews 6. Oh, for some reason, I don't know where it went. But um, it's the one that talks about, I think it's 19, that, that we have this anchor of hope in Jesus, who's our forerunner, who has gone before us into, beyond the veil, into the Father. And I hung on to that scripture, and when things got really tough, because there was, there was always some bad news, and you'd have to get your shield of faith up, because, you know, the, 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 you know, the darts were coming. But then, you take your sword of the Spirit, and I began to whack at them. You're telling me a lie. Jesus, Jesus, he's God's in all our will-be's. But the most important part of the, of the armor, well, they're all important, but it's very important for the word to be in your head that that, your helmet of salvation, that protects your mind and your thoughts. Because if your helmet isn't on right, if it's, if, you know, but remember, the Lord meets us where we are. But if we don't have that helmet on, we've got a butter knife and, and, and you know, our, our shield is probably about the size of a dime. So as we put the, the, the word in our minds, we, we wield that sword, and we have the shield of faith. Well, to make a long story short, um, Sarah came through that pregnancy very well. The news got really bad. Um, not only was there a placenta previa, but the, but the placenta was, was, was eating into her uterus, and it was a very dangerous situation. But there were so many people that prayed and we stood in faith that, 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 that the Lord heard our prayer. We asked. And whenever the bad news came, one of the things that you can do when bad news and doubts and all of that, don't forget to praise the Lord. Because that is such an effective weapon against against those doubts, against the lies, because they're going to come at you. And, and we have to be prepared, but you know, even if you don't feel like you're prepared at all, stand, stand, because what you have is what you're going to use. And you practice with that. You know, another thing that came to mind, and then I'll let you go, is, um, 
Muhammad Ali had this had this phrase where you float like a butterfly and you sting like a bee. <laughs> and, 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 you know, when we, when we have the word and we have the armor and we're practicing, we can get, we can get so good, we can get so good that, you know, we float like a butterfly, you know? It's hard to hit a moving target, you know? And we sting like a bee because we've got the truth of the gospel. So think about that. Um, thank you for coming. Wasn't that great? I want to end with a little story from my own life. I remember a particular time when I had a whole bunch of what-ifs. Some of my what-ifs were from medical issues. Some of my what-ifs were related to my future. Some of my what ifs were uncertainty. And at my door arrived my dear friend, Judy Cleveland. In only the way Judy Cleveland could do this, she dropped off a pizza and a little note card. And on that note card was a sweet verse that she had handwritten and glued a small anchor to the corner. It was Hebrews 6:19, And it read like this, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Judy knew this little verse on our index card would be a great help to me. I stuck it above my sink and I read it every time I started to wonder and ask the what if questions. I'm so thankful for this verse and the reminder that Jesus is our anchor in the midst of whatever type of storm that's brewing or that you're right in the middle of. Hey, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we don't have to worry about the what if questions. We know that you are a faithful and true God and that you have a plan for our lives. Help us trust you in the midst of whatever storm that we are in. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, join us as we are going to be learning about how you and I can leave a spiritual legacy. I'm not talking about a heritage or a will. I'm talking about a spiritual legacy. And if you're not sure what that is, you should tune in next week. And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time. <laughs>